Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Nobody handles conflict in the same way. Some people are direct, persuasive, passionate about their convictions, quick decision makers. They know what they want and they go for it. They're aggressive. They're bulldozers. They take the bull by the horns. Others are slow decision makers. They want to look at all the angles and their aim is to solve the problem in a way that everyone's happy with the outcome. They're focused on welcoming differences and mutual understanding and building a lot of trust with people. Some people look for give and take. They're trying to see how to negotiate and cooperate and compromise and they're asking what is it that I'm willing to give up and what am I really wanting to hold on to here. Some people try to just make conflict go away by placating others. They know how to accommodate. They know how to harmonize, how to make other people happy. So if things become uncomfortable or tense, they are the first one to give up their seat, to accept a change, to make a sacrifice. Some people try to avoid conflict in the first place. They try to keep it from happening. They keep their opinions to themselves. They keep their feelings bottled up. Nothing is an issue to them, it seems. They avoid all hard emotions. It doesn't matter what happens. You'll probably find them saying things like, it's fine, it's fine, everything is fine, it's okay, it's no big deal. The truth is, life is full of conflict, and we all handle it a little different. Conflict comes in a million different shapes and sizes, and so do our personalities and the ways we handle conflict, from the small squabbles because one child took another child's Legos to corporations seizing and claiming for their own what belongs to another corporation, from a couple bickering about who did more of the household chores this past week to thousands of troops deploying to enemy lines facing possible death and bloodshed. Given the millions of different sizes and shapes of conflict that this world faces and the myriad of different personalities and the ways that people handle conflict, how could it be possible to boil all of that conflict down to any root causes, any family of illness causing all of this maladaptive tension and all of these problems in the world? Like, Certainly what's going on with a couple who's about to divorce is not the same as what's going on between a 28-year-old Russian father who just got drafted to the front lines and a 27-year-old Ukrainian woman who is fighting against that Russian father because her parents just died in her arms after a Russian missile attack. Like, those aren't the same conflicts, are they? Or certainly what's going on between a business manager and a longtime employee who are at loggerheads over proper compensation, that's not the same 
is what's going on between a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law who got on one another's nerves at the family Thanksgiving, and now they probably have some stuff to work through. Those aren't the same. And we could go on and on with examples. People are all so different. Conflicts are all so different. And yet, James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, saw the wide and wild variety of conflict symptoms in the world, all coming out of one illness, one set of root causes. So here's the way he says it in James, starting with chapter 3, verse 18. He says, Peacemakers who plant seeds of peace reap a harvest of justice and righteousness. So what causes wars and quarrels among y'all? Don't they come from y'all's desires that battle within y'all? Y'all want what you do not have, so y'all kill for it. Y'all covet, but y'all cannot get what y'all want. So y'all war and fight. Y'all do not have because y'all do not ask. And when y'all ask, y'all do not receive because y'all ask out of sickness, wrong motives, that y'all may consume what y'all get on y'all's pleasures. Now, I'm not Southern, but out of 108 verses in the letter of James, James uses plural language, y'all language, nearly 80 different times. Out of 108 verses, 80 different times. So from the very beginning, James is showing us that we generate the conflict from the interpersonal conflict to world wars. No matter what conflict you're talking about, it's easy to say, well, if they hadn't done XYZ, then we wouldn't be in this mess that we're in right now. And so we we like to make it about they. We can see their missteps, their wrongs, their failures, because confessing other people's sins is very easy. But James doesn't say they 80 different times in 108 verses. He says y'all. So it means an invitation to look within, to recognize this isn't just coming from other people. This is coming from within me as well. So what is my role within the entire situation? So I invite you to think back on a conflict that you experienced recently and see if your experience resonates with what James is saying at all. See if you can find what James is saying within your own experience. So, first of all, James is saying that all wars and fights have common root causes. And first of all, it's that you have conflicting desires. You want a set of factors that don't always play well together. You want things that don't generally come in a package together. Like 
It'd be nice if you could eat a bunch of cookies and lose weight. It'd be nice if the Oregon coast looked like it does, but it never rained. It'd be nice if your boss would pay you more while demanding less. It'd be nice if your spouse or your significant other would give you all of the autonomy that you need and want and all of the togetherness that you need and want. And it'd be nice if your spouse was engaged and involved, but not that engaged and not that involved and not like that. And it'd be nice if you always felt trusted with the freedom and the power to do your thing while simultaneously receiving the feedback and support and teamwork it takes to really do it well. And it'd be nice if you could build that new house and have a cush bank account. And it'd be nice if you could go get that degree that you want and have time to just hang out with your friends and do your hobbies. It'd be nice if you could sleep in all you want and be on time to every event. It'd be nice if your friends could just be logical and objective and non-emotional when you really don't want to talk about it. But if you need them to, then it'd be nice if they'd switch to being the most sensitive, emotionally intelligent, empathetic person on the planet. Like, why can't they just be lighthearted and the life of the party, but then simultaneously deep and introspective when you want to go there? And <laughs> these are just a few fun examples. Like, we all have loads and loads of conflicting desires. Life is full of trade-offs. People are full of trade-offs. Personalities are full of trade-offs. Jobs are full of trade-offs. Relationships are full of trade-offs. Locations, homes, dreams, ambitions, they're all full of trade-offs. And James says that somewhere underneath the conflict that you are facing, that you have some conflicting desires. It could be that you're looking for a package deal that just doesn't happen very often in that combination. Or it could be that you just want completely different things or you're not sure what you want. The founder of Internal Family Systems Theory, Richard Schwartz, says that none of us have just one voice in our head. We have many voices. So part of you is that vulnerable little kid. Part of you is grown up and mature. Part of you is a responsible manager. Part of you is a party animal. You have a bunch of conflicting desires inside, which means anytime you say, well, this is what I want, it's more likely that this is what part of you wants. And so if you end up identifying that one part of yourself as your entire self, your complete self, then it's called blending. And, and when you don't recognize your parts, it doesn't end well because later on it becomes clear, well, you actually wanted something different. You, you had some conflicting desires. And so you end up not appreciating what you have and what people have to offer to you while simultaneously demanding that they give you something different. And that turns into conflict. So within the conversation about the search for pleasure, the ancient Christian view of evil was always that evil is a lack. It's a missing of something, a deprivation. Satan is not the creator of a single pleasure. God is the creator of all pleasure. 
every pleasure that becomes evil is a twisting of something that God created is good. So behind every temptation, there is a legitimate God-given need. Part of you is trying to meet in an illegitimate way. It might be physical, emotional, relational, sexual, intellectual, spiritual. And so the question becomes related to our conflicting desires. What are those God-given needs that you're really not paying attention to? What part of yourself do you need to understand and be present to? And what would it look like to meet that legitimate need in a legitimate way? So, uh, in our Sunday gathering, we paused and we had a conversation here. So I invite you to either chat with a friend or reflect on this. Can you imagine a way that naming and addressing your conflicting desires might help you resolve or reduce conflicts? How might this help? So take a moment and reflect on that. All right, moving on. All wars and fights have common root causes. Not getting what you want begins a progression of dehumanizing the other. James says, y'all want what you do not have, so y'all kill for it. Y'all covet, but y'all cannot get what y'all want, so y'all war and fight. And admittedly, on first glance, we could respond to James and say, uh, James, buddy, you obviously don't know me. I've never killed anyone. I don't get what I want all the time, and I don't automatically start killing people. That's not what I do. <laughs> and we could say that to James, but James has actually already pointed out the way that this progression with desires works in Chapter 1, verse 15, James already wrote about desire, and he says, After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so he's describing this dehumanizing progression that happens over a lifetime. Can he, you know, that metaphor is like conception, pregnancy, delivery, growing up, maturity. So this is not just, I don't get what I want and I kill someone. It's a progression. Somehow that person doesn't give you what you want. They don't treat you the way you want to be treated. They don't make choices you want them to make. And it sets off a chain reaction. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sees this as the progression from anger to murder. It's in Matthew 5. It's you begin to write off anything good about that person. Their value as a human made in the image of God begins to be distorted in your eyes. So when you look at that person, you're not really seeing the image of God in them. You're seeing how much you disdain them, how much you dislike them. 
the world begins to look like it would be a better place if they were not around. You begin to name that person in your mind. You, you think you have them pegged. And long before any actual killing would ever happen, they have been murdered in your heart over and over. The, the character assassinations are complete. You move from, well, what right do they have to be here to what right do they have to be? And you envision a world without them as a better world. And at that point, you've completely rejected the image of God in them. And that's how anyone gets to this point of, I didn't get what I want, and now I'm either assassinating your character or I'm lashing out at you. I'm killing you. So the discussion question here is, what's one of your first clues that a dehumanizing progression has begun in the way that you view someone? So take a moment and reflect on that. All right, continuing on with the, the common root causes of all wars and fights. The, the third root cause is assuming that other people know what you want. James says, you all do not have because you all do not ask. Now, some Bible translations insert the words, you do not ask God, but the word God is not in the text. It simply says, y'all do not ask. Uh, the translators that add the word God uh, just think that the text might be inferring God. But James is speaking broadly. It could be God. It could be your spouse. It could be your significant other, your friends, your boss, your coworkers, your in-laws, your outlaws, church family, on and on. James is identifying part of the illness simply as bad communication. Like, have you ever wanted someone to know what you need, what you want, and they, they, or you wish that they would give you what you want, but you don't come right out and say what you want or what you need? There's something vulnerable about asking for what you want. And so people tend to dance and prance and they don't communicate with one another. And when you do not ask, you're kind of assuming that other people know what you want. You're kind of assuming that they can intuit what matters the most to you. That they somehow have this sixth sense about what creates the rub for you and what feels good for you and what you want out of the relationship as if uh, what you want out of the relationship and what they want out of the relationship must be the same thing, as if what's stressful and challenging for you must be stressful and challenging for them, and what motivates and excites you must motivate and excite them. But we are all so different. 
So when you're unwilling to let someone know what you want, it creates a kind of impossible situation for them. They're throwing darts in the dark. Their chances of getting it right are pretty slim. Some people grew up being taught or treated as if all their needs and all their wants were a problem. Uh, they, they had things, the, the message was like, it's not okay to have any needs. And so for some people, uh, this idea of asking for what you want, it might feel the opposite of what they feel like they've been taught. Uh, they interpret scriptures such as Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider others more important than yourselves. They would interpret a text like that to mean, look, there's no room to ever address any of your own needs, any of your own wants. But James seems to be taking a much more realistic perspective here. Every human on the planet has wants and needs, and their wants and needs might not be realistic. And yeah, they might be selfish. They might be distorted in some way, but they are real. And so if those wants and needs are not put out in the open where they can be addressed, then they cause unnecessary wars and quarrels and fights. So how can your relationship move forward if you're waiting for someone to simply intuit what you want? Their brain isn't built like your brain. They prioritize things differently. They experience things differently. They have different opinions and values and beliefs. And so it may very well be that one of the most spiritual things that some people could do this week, not all, but some, would be to tell someone in your life what you want. This can truly be active, part of active peacemaking. And I say this for some because those who feel um, entitled, this is not going in a direction that helps them. But for those who have never told anyone what they want, what they need, what they're looking for, what speaks to them, what works for them, part of a healthy relationship in any scenario is that kind of communication. Telling someone else what you want out of the relationship in any situation is not a guarantee that you'll get what you want or that you should get what you want. But it does put the relationship out in the open. And so now that other person knows the difference between hurting you and helping you. Now they know what matters to you and what doesn't matter to you. And so it opens the conversation for shalom, this, this biblical word, peace. Um, Bernard Ott says shalom is now we can look one another in the eyes and there's nothing between us. And once you and whoever that other person is have both been able to ask for whatever it is, you can move towards 
this kind of piece. So discussion, a reflection question. Why is telling other people what you want or need so difficult? What is it about that that's so challenging? Take a moment and reflect on that. All right, moving on. All wars and fights have common root causes, and one of them is not properly valuing other people, resources, or creation. James says, When y'all ask, y'all do not receive, because y'all ask out of sickness and wrong motives, that y'all may consume what y'all get on y'all's pleasures. At the root of the world's quarrels and wars, James sees people who are not getting what they want. They're not being treated the way they want. They're not getting they want what they want out of the relationship. They don't own what they want to own. They aren't experiencing what they want to experience. And the sickness at the root of it is the consuming of people and resources and creation. It's not properly valuing other people resources, creation. And so the word that James is using there for consume, it means to treat people or resources or creation in such a way that you squander them, you use everything up, you wear them out, you waste them, you treat them as expendable, cause them to disappear, put them out of sight, do away with them, ultimately destroy them. And you can do this with people. You can treat people in a way that they're expendable. Use them up, take them for granted, make them feel unseen, unheard. It's basically like, I want whatever it is you have to give, but I certainly don't appreciate who you are. You can do the same thing with resources, with creation. Treat it as something to be used up and put out of sight instead of something to be stewarded and cared for. The world that we live in is organized around this never-ending cycle of production for the sake of consumption. So the corporate advertising machine of America tells people every day that what they need is different than what they currently possess, that enough is never enough. And so we are taught and trained to be consumers from the moment we enter this world. And a large part of the social unrest in this world can be distilled down to this conf these conflicting views of how do we keep this cycle going of production for the sake of consumption? Enough is never enough. We got to keep producing more. And so it can feel really daunting to try to stop that machine of consumption that's been running in high gear since the Industrial Revolution, for sure. But on a personal level, it can feel really daunting to try to stop someone who's treating you or treating others as if they are expendable. It can even feel daunting to not treat others as expendable yourself. But the person you can change in all of it is you. 
And the changes that you make could end up being the catalyst for changes other people make. And so the question becomes, are there people that you are taking for granted, that you are treating as expendable, that you are treating like, well, I want what you have to give, but I really don't value who you are. And how far might it go in reducing conflicts if you begin regularly naming and appreciating those people in your life for what they have to offer and who they are? How can you be a good steward of the resources that you have? How can you throw some sand in the gears of the consumption machine simply through your own contentment, through your own simple lifestyle, through your own generosity? So a discussion question, a reflection question, Speak a word of valuing a person in your life, appreciating a person in your life. If you can, speak it to them personally. Share or reflect on a way that you are practicing stewardship of your resources and creation. And perhaps think about a way that you would like to do that, a way that you wish that you did that and lean into that. Let the Spirit guide you. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.